I got to meet Eric uh, for just a little bit, and we're blessed to have him here. He attends ABC. I have no idea what part of the program in, how far in you are or not, but he showed up very prepared, ready to go, so we need to pray for him and let him loose. Uh, we're glad to have you here this morning, and I uh, pray that you find that the Spirit of God is among us and with you. Uh, we're, we're rooting with and for you. Awesome. Right, Thank you. Let's pray. Uh, God, I'm glad to have Eric here this morning, and I'm glad to have the whole team from ABC here. And as with everything that we do, we pray that we would honor you and bless you, and that in doing that, uh, we would bless one another and encourage one another to follow you faithfully. I pray that you would put your words into Eric's mouth this morning, and that they would that they would hit us deep, because your spirit is also in us. I pray this in your son's name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. I should probably add, Kelly told me to bring this up, but I forgot. <laughs> cool, thank you. Yeah, so like... Um, Michael is saying, I do attend Alberta Bible College. I am in, uh, well, it's kind of a long story. I kind of like to say that I'm stretching a four-year degree into a seven-year degree. So I've actually been in Bible College for about five years now, but I'm in my second year at ABC, and I'm in the Bachelor of Theology program. So just a little background on me, and sorry, coming down with a bit of a sickness today. But uh, yeah, so... When I was told that I was preaching here, um, it kind of surprised me because I was like, really? Mr. Carter wants somebody that dropped out of Greek like halfway through this semester to to preach at his church? And apparently he does want me to preach. So (laughs) I was pretty amazed at that. And um, I'm just pretty thankful and grateful that I can uh, have the opportunity to share my heart with you guys. And just to finish your series through Hebrews, it's a pretty amazing book. And um, when I was meeting with Kelly, I met with him a couple of weeks ago to go over my sermon. And we talked about the sermon and everything seemed good. And as he was about to leave, he turned around to me and, and in Kelly fashion, he just mentioned, he's like, what do you plan on wearing to preach? <laughs> and I was like, well, I was probably going to wear a shirt and a tie. And he's like, oh, okay, good. (laughs) Um, So if anybody wants to take a photo of me up here and send it to Kelly, he could feel free because I think he thought I was going to wear like shorts and sandals or something. I don't know. Um, But no, I'm I'm super excited to be here. Uh, How many people here have played or watched baseball? Yeah, I would assume most of you guys have seen it at least once. So as I was preparing this sermon, I was kind of reminded of a story. I'm just going to take you guys back quite a few years now um, to when I was 14. And I used to play baseball competitively, um, quite competitively. And I was playing for a little league team at this time. And we had made the playoffs. And I believe the year before, I I could be muddling my memories up here, but the year before, we actually won the championship. So this year, there was quite a bit riding on, like, our team. We were like, oh, yeah, we're the best team. And we had made the championship game again. We made the playoffs, made the championship game. And what our team did was, for certain players um, that they didn't view as talented, I guess, as the rest, they would only play them half games, and then they would sit for the last half. So we're in the championship game. I'm 14 years old. Uh, I played the first half of the game, and I was viewed, I guess, as not as talented as the rest of the crew. Um, So they sat me, and I was like, man, this is kind of nice. Like, I was a little bit nervous at first, but... Now if we lose, they can't really blame it on me because I sat for half the game. So, so, so I'm sitting there, and um, 
it's the last last inning, and we're the home team, so we get to bat last. And um, my coach comes up to me, and he says, hey, Eric, we're going to pull Stefan, and we're going to put you in to bat. And I was like, what? I was like, why? He's like, well, we, we think that you're a better batter than Stefan, and <laughs> you're going to, just in case it comes down to you, we'd rather have you in the lineup. And I was like, at this point, like, sweating. I'm like, oh, no. I was like, okay, coach, yeah, put me in. And so I'm there, uh, and sure enough, it comes down to me, last batter. We're down, I don't know, a couple runs at this point, and it comes down to me. So I'm like, okay, like the whole game's riding on me. My whole team has put my hope and faith in this moment. So I got up to bat, and I struck out. <laughs> and I didn't even strike out in a good way. I think I struck out just watching the pitches go by. And at that moment, I was like, my whole team probably hates me, and I was so embarrassed. I was like, I let everyone down. I disappointed everybody. And they didn't come right out and say that they hated me, but I'm pretty sure they, they did. <laughs> um, and you guys might not have struck out in, like, a championship Little League game, but I think we've all experienced times in our life where we've put our faith in something, our hope in something, and it's let us down and disappointed us. And that could have been maybe a relationship we put our faith into a significant other and then went through a bad breakup. Or we thought we were going to get a promotion at work and we didn't get it. Whatever the circumstance may be, I think we've all gone through that kind of like thing where we've put our faith in something and it's let us down. But one of the awesome things as believers is we've put our faith and hope in someone named Jesus who never changes, who is the same always, who is unshakable, who is, like, he just never changes. He's unchangeable. And I think it's awesome for us to put our faith into that. But if we put our faith in Jesus, how does that work for us today? Like, how does that change our perspective of life? And I think it should change our perspective on life. And I think that's what the re, uh, author in Hebrews Chapter 13 is trying to tell us that if we have faith in Jesus, it should change our perspective of life. And faith demands consistent action. And that's kind of, if you take one thing away from what I'm talking about up here, is that faith demands consistent action. Um, So just remember that. So I'm going to read Hebrews 13, starting in verse 1 for you guys. And I know you already heard a little bit from it, of it from Tracy. But I'll just read the whole chapter here for you. And I'm reading from the English Standard Version just in case anyone is confused. (laughs) Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. 
We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose, high, or whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us. We are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you that the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I appeal to you, brothers. Bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you soon if he comes. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with all of you. So, my first like initial thought when I read Hebrews 13 is that the author just had like a ton of things that he forgot to mention in the rest of the letter because it's like it just seems like what is going on here like it's like don't be led away by diverse teachings Jesus is the same forever let marriage be held in honor uh show hospitality it's kind of like he just was like I have so many things still left to say and I'm going to mention them really quickly (laughs) and that's kind of what I was like what is going on here and um but I think it works really well if you look at it in its context, especially with chapters 11 and 12, because um, 13 is kind of a cap-off, I think, of chapters 11 and 12. So I know you guys have already gone through them, but chapter 11 of Hebrews kind of provides, well, it definitely provides you with these great examples of faith from the Old Testament, um, of like men and women in the Old Testament, just these awesome examples of faith. And then chapter 12 gives encouragements to faith, um, and then chapter 13 shows evidences of living a faith out in a consistent way. So I like to call it the three E's of Hebrews. You have the example, and then the encouragement, and then the evidence. And in chapter 12, or chapter 13, sorry, I believe that the author of Hebrews is trying to say that there's no difference between doctrine and duty, and there's no difference between revelation and responsibility. There's like no division there's uh, faith demands consistent action. So if faith was an island, and you say you're on your faith island right here, and then there's the action island over here, and there's water in between, I think the author of Hebrews is trying to say that there's no division, there's no water between it. You're on the same island. Faith demands consistent action. And that is what Hebrews 13 is about to me, that if we say we follow Jesus, then we should actually follow Jesus. And... Um, the writer opens up this chapter in verses 1 to 4. I'm just going to pull a few things out. I'm not going to go through verse by verse, but kind of verse by verse. (laughs) So the writer opens up this in chapters 1 to 4 with kind of a series of ethical obligations centered around 
community, relationship, um, and family. And the general demand, I believe, within these verses is to have a spirit of generosity and hospitality. And that comes out right in verse 1 when he mentions, let brotherly love continue. And I know whenever I read love in the Bible, I always just assume it's the agape, like sacrificial love. That's just the one that's most common to me. And um, it's kind of cool to think that in this uh, love, the Greek word used for love in this verse is actually not agape love, and it's actually only used a handful of times in the New Testament. And I'll pr- I'm probably going to butcher the word because I dropped out of Greek. So, <laughs> But um, the word used here is actually phileo or Philadelphia, and it's more of a like directly translated brotherly love. And this love isn't to say that you shouldn't have a sacrificial love for your family, but it's a love that emphasizes hospitality, generosity to those in need. And I think that's what the author of Hebrews in this chapter especially is trying to get at, is that if we say we follow Jesus, we should do these things. Uh, So we have like, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Um, And then the second half of that is referring to, I believe referring to Abraham's visit uh, when he entertained angels in Genesis 18. And I think we can get caught up on that. I'm going to skip right over that. So, uh, But yeah, and then it's remember those who are in prison and let marriage be held in honor and let the marriage bed be undefiled. And these are just examples of living out a consistent faith um, in line with the teachings of Jesus. And it's just kind of like, I believe the author is saying, hey, if you say you have faith, which we've kind of discussed already, then this is how you should be living. And that's exactly how he opens the book up right away. And if we claim to have faith, we must show evidence of faith in our actions. And how do we show that faith? Through loving and helping people in need. And that is exactly what he opens it up like. And the next chunk of verses, they're super comforting. Um, Again, we have the author echoing, living for God, keep your life free from the love of money, and be content with what you have. And then he goes on to say, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? And the author of Hebrews here is quoting Psalm 118.6. And the psalmist, traditionally David, um, is just writing of his experiences of God delivering him, like actively delivering him from danger. And I think it's important to stop at this part in Hebrews when we're reading it, because the author is obviously writing about specific situations for them, and it means a lot to the readers of that day. But it's important to stop here right now and just think, how does this impact how we choose to live day to day for God right now? And I think if it was true for the Old Testament readers that God actively saved them from danger, if it was true for an Old Testament saint like David, then it's just equally as true for us today. And if God is with us, what can stand against us? What that kind of puts human opposition in perspective for us. And I think that's definitely something that's the most comforting fact in the Bible. And then we get into verse 8, which is probably the most comforting verse to me, which is Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we know that Jesus is unchangeable and unshakable. And if that doesn't give us confidence to live like a consistent life for him. I don't know what does. <laughs> and 
um, we can be assured that God's going to provide for us. God will never leave us or forsake us, and we are strengthened by his grace. And I think that's just awesome to remember how to live out a consistent faith and live consistently well with Jesus, and that our faith demands consistent action. But on, on one side of that is Jesus provides for us to live that faith out. And the writer of Hebrews was definitely speaking, obviously, to a very specific situation. And one of the commentaries that I was reading as I was preparing this sermon uh, kind of used weird imagery, but it, it worded it like this. And it said, The author knew very well the struggles the audience in the book of Hebrews were facing. They knew exactly which itch to scratch. And I think it's important to like bring that in to the next couple of verses. And verses 10 to 14, we have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the body of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. And when I read that, I'm kind of like was a little confused. Like, I don't really know. (laughs) It just seems like another thing that the author threw in. And it was like, sacrifice, suffering outside the city gate. What does any of that really mean? And if you look at it in the actual context, the writer of Hebrews was obviously writing to people that would be accustomed with Jewish living and their ways of teaching. And one of the certain things that they did, um, he was looking back on Exodus 29.14 and Leviticus 4.12, which just kind of mentions that certain sin offerings they had to burn outside the camp because the bodies were unclean. So they were deemed unclean by the religious establishment of that day. So they didn't want, the people didn't want to like be affected by that. They didn't want to be deemed unclean. So they had to burn them outside the camp. So this means that Jesus' death taking place outside the city gate is a pretty daring symbolism from the author that Jesus went out as a sin offering and was rejected as unclean by the religious establishment of his day. And that's pretty crazy to think about because Jesus' once-for-all sacrifice was a sin offering, and it was a sin offering for us. And it was the last sin offering, and it was the best sin offering. And verse 13 then, um, which calls us to go outside the camp and bear the reproach of Jesus, Echoes Mark 8.34, which is to take up our cross and follow him. And we cannot be involved personally in the ultimate sacrifice, which Jesus already took place in. But as believers, we can and must identify with the ostracism and shame that Jesus underwent. And um, what I mean by that is to follow Jesus is fully to find ourselves outside outside the camp, treated as unclean. And... The readers would have known persecution because I was mentioned earlier in the letter. But the author offers them that this, like persecution, it's not even going to prove temporary. It's going to be lasting. And instead, we must embrace the reproach Jesus himself endured through, and as Tracy's translation had, had stated, disgrace, reproach, disgrace. But that's directly translated as insult. So in other words, the writer is letting the people of God know that we will suffer disgrace for the sake of Christ. And I think it's important to think 
um, in terms of our faith, and if faith demands consistent action, one way to know <laughs> that we're living a faith out is if we're suffering persecution. And the author doesn't say that persecution is going to be temporary. He says persecution is going to happen if you're living for Jesus. And not to bum you guys out with that, but we can't say we follow Jesus without actually following him, but we also have this hope, and that's how we get through persecution. We have this hope of a new city, of a new heaven, and I think that's what he's getting at in verse 14, that we have the power to suffer disgrace for Christ because we have a much greater hope than just this life, and we can look to that. We don't have to just suffer this life and then the life's over. We actually have a hope that's far beyond this. I think it's important to remember that when we're thinking of how to live our faith out consistently and living consistently well with God. And because of our allegiance to Jesus, because of our faith in God, we are now called as believers to show different sacrifices to God. And Jesus was the ultimate and last sacrifice, so now God wants our faith to show sacrifice. He wants our faith to show consistent action. And that's what the author is getting at in these verses. Um, We should not neglect to do good and share what we have because that is now what is pleasing to God. These are the sacrifices that God wants us to make now. Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice for us, so now the least we can do is make sacrifices for him. And that is probably one of the most important things that I want to tell you guys today, that Jesus' sacrifice for us was the best sacrifice. But if he made a sacrifice for us and we're not willing to make a sacrifice for him, then what's the point? Faith demands consistent action. And the last thing I want to mention, I'm not sure how long, I I can't really see the clock. Kelly told me I can't go past 947. So (laughs) uh, the last thing I want to mention is uh, from Hebrews 13, comes from verses 20 to 21. And that is, now may God of May the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And the last thing I want to mention from that is that we aren't in this alone. Like, I don't want this sermon to kind of be like, or this talk to, to make you guys like, I don't know, be bummed or to think that you're obligated to live a faith out. We are obligated, and faith does demand consistent action, but we're not in it alone. And Jesus actually equips us to be able to live our faith out. And I think that's one of the best things ever. Like, we have a God that loves us so much, that cares for us so much, that he's going to equip us to be able to live for him now, if we want to. And we need to want to. And that's kind of what I want to get across to you guys, is that I want you guys to want to live for God, and I want to live for God. And that's what the writer of Hebrews wanted, and that's what he definitely wants in this chapter, and that's what he wanted for the people then, and reading it now, that's what he wants for us now. That faith demands consistent action, but we're not in it alone. Jesus is with us, and I think that's awesome. So I was challenged, like, well, how do I kind of, like, apply this to my everyday life? How do we apply this to everyday life? And I was thinking, like, there's so many things. Like, I I have one friend who, I don't even know if I would call him a friend, to be honest, but he's, to me, probably one of the most annoying people I've ever met. And 
And I was thinking when I was writing this sermon that I've never really shown him the love of Christ. I've always just kind of like hung up on him if he's talking too long or I've just hung out with him because I just have to hang out with him. And I'm not going to mention his name or anything just in case anybody knows him. But <laughs> I, I was thinking if I really took Hebrews 13 to heart and if I took the truths of this chapter to heart, what would be pleasing to God in this situation? And it would be to love that person and to love him not like I have been. And I think we can take that into so many aspects of life. Like maybe we pass somebody that's less fortunate every day on the way to work and we ignore them. Have we ever thought about what's pleasing to God in that situation? Maybe we should ask if he wants a meal or talk to him like, hey, like just open up to him. Or you guys might know somebody that's super annoying (laughs) and you might, I don't know, just not show them love. And I just think that we are called as Christians to live our faith out. And that's super evident in Hebrews chapter 13. And if we're going to live our faith out, we have to do it in ways that are pleasing to God. And God cares for us, so we should care for people. And I was just thinking, like, imagine a church and a body of believers that truly lived out this fact. For one, I think the church would be liked way better (laughs) and we'd be viewed as less hypocritical. And I think, like, I just wanted you guys to imagine what a world would be like if all Christians lived their faith out like the Bible, like Hebrews 13 tells us to. And I just want to leave you guys with that. And I'm just going to pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the sacrifice that you made, Lord, and that you were the ultimate sacrifice and the last sacrifice for us. And we thank you that we get to be a part of your redemptive story and that by your redeeming grace, we can offer and extend grace to other people. And Lord, we thank you for that. And I just pray that this Hebrews, that this series of Hebrews, Lord, would have just inspired us to live our faith out in an evident way, Lord, that we would live for you. And I just pray that you would be with us today. And I pray this in your name. Amen.